Smarty Pants Lance, Smarty Pants Lance, Smarty Pants Lance! Hello, everybody. Let's talk about taking to the air, the wild blue yonder. Yes, going to the airport and taking a flight. Let me start with a story of somebody who I know very well. Now, this person, at the time, was the chief flight inspector for the FAA for the Northeast. Keep this in mind with all the correct credentials, etc. He also was type-rated as a captain in that particular equipment, as they call it. It's, uh, it's equipment. You know, you might say a 747 or a 777. They'd call it a 77 or 74, something like that, 76. He had a mustache. And, you know, this is back in the 80s when a lot of us he-men had mustaches and porn stars. He got a gift of a sterling, old-timey-looking, tonsorial mustache comb. It's kind of curly-cued in shape. Maybe it's um, two inches in length, something like that. And it had his name engraved on it. He goes to security. Yes, the geniuses in airport security in the United States. Oh, no, they're not like real security, like, you know, Israeli security. Like I've always said, there's tough and then there's Israeli tough. So the United States security people, the best and the brightest of, of course, decide that he cannot have his mustache comb because it could be used as a weapon. Can you imagine the chief flight inspector for the FAA for the Northeast and he's holding a two-inch thin little mustache comb and he's like, nobody moves. See, I got a mustache comb right here. The next one that moves gets their mustache combed, okay? And he's not going to give it up. And he's like, do you not get who I am? You know who I am. I'm with the FAA. I could ground every flight at this airport. He was treated that way by security back then. My old investigator, or should I say former investigator, who is now old, uh, wonderful man, great sense of humor, gallows humor, all those old cops have that that style of humor, told me he was on airport duty as a police officer, a uniformed police officer, when he was called to a security area where security people had summoned him because there was a man there. They kept ordering this man to, as what the man heard and what uh, my investigator heard was, bag up, bag up, no bag up. And this poor man is standing there holding his bag up as high as he can over his head, and they keep yelling at him, bag up, bag up. What the man thought was they were saying bag up, not back up. And of course, once uh, <laughs> once the popo arrived that could actually figure out what was going on because the security were too dim-witted to figure out that they were mispronouncing uh, what they were saying, uh, the thing resolved peacefully. So now... Do you drive to the airport? How do you get to the airport? Don't drive to the airport. Oh, no. It's a cluster F. You have to leave way early. You have to anticipate problems on the freeway or the side streets, etc. And then, once you get there, there's the parking issue. You can park in the structure. It's only, you know, a measly $100 a second. Or you can go to the economy lot, which is about 50 miles away. You can find some spot out there in the dirt and gravel. And after you do that, that takes a lot of time. So you got to add that, factor that into your time plan. And then you got to wait around for the airport shuttle to pick you up from that parking lot and take you over to the terminal. These shuttles run off of natural gas or electricity, and they're about the size of the short bus that no one wanted to be seen on when they were in school. They have a top speed of just under the speed of an 80-year-old woman with a walker with those little tennis balls on the front legs. 
I mean, maybe they go 12 and a half miles an hour with the pedal all the way to the metal, and they got to hit every stop. So you got to factor that in as well. There's no place to put your luggage because it's always full. There's virtually no place to sit, and the seats, are they six feet apart? Oh, no. Are they six inches apart? No, they're actually right on top of each other with no separators. And now you're just sort of stuck. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to stand the whole freaking way to the terminal. You're at the terminal. All right, fine. You checked in, you got your boarding pass, but you got to go to the kiosk and wait around for a kiosk. And then you got to check your bag if you're going to do this because it may be longer than just an overnight trip, which means you got to be in the line of dumbasses and the unwashed. They call them fellow passengers and wait and wait and wait and wait, sometimes an hour to get through the switchbacks like it's Disneyland up to the ticket person. And who are these ticket people? I'd hate this job. I kind of feel sorry for them, although they chose the job. They're usually some middle-aged woman with her hair dyed blonde, although it's a cheap dye like they got it at Walgreens, so it has a kind of a bizarre green tint to it, maybe because of chlorine reaction if they ever go swimming. It looks a little bit like steel wool, you know, that was left outside to rust and then sort of spray-painted yellowish-green. And they're really tired looking, and they put the foundation on to try to cover up the black circles under their eyes. And they're trying to be patient dealing with the general public. I can't tell you how many times I've stood in these lines, and every dummy is in front, delaying everything, particularly security. And someone behind me said, what is taking so freaking long? And I said, have you met the general public? <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> you go by a sign that says what's not allowed on the plane, like, you know, bombs and pistols and things like that, but <laughs> they have these drawings, like there's some kind of cat burglar from World War One. And they actually have like what looks like a black bowling ball with a fuse on it that's supposed to be the symbol, the universal symbol of a bomb. I mean, who does not know that? So could you imagine somebody wearing, like, looking like the Hamburglar from McDonald's and they're holding this black bowling ball shaped thing with a fuse that's lit and it's like thinking they're going to sneak that through security? Even the dummies, even the TSA idiots might figure that one out. Although I'm not sure I'd bet my bottom dollar on it. And they ask you things like, did you pack this bag yourself? Um, oh, you know what? I'm really glad you asked that. Actually, there was a Middle Eastern looking gentleman with a red and white checkered Pizza Hut tablecloth on his head who volunteered to pack my bag for me as I walked away for 25 minutes so I could get a Starbucks. Burnt coffee, outrageous airport prices. How much is a small Starbucks? At the airport, a million dollars. Yeah, a million dollars. Was I supposed to give him a tip? You gotta take off your shoes because one time somebody was the shoe bomber idiot and that means you gotta boogaloo down Broadway, so to speak, in your socks or worse, your bare boat. One time I was switching planes in Denver and I have a money clip. A money clip I've been carrying for years. It has my initials on the money clip, inlaid into the money clip in turquoise because it was made by a Navajo silversmith. And it's a beautiful money clip and it's heavy and it's sterling. And every edge of it is rounded. In fact, a butter knife is sharper than the edges on my money clip. You wouldn't want to be tearing up your money, would you? And they tried. TSA tried to take it away from me because it could be used as some kind of weapon. Again, these people have no brains or they just wanted to steal it. Well, I raised a funk and I said, oh, no, oh, no, no. 
I, I will not give up my money clip. It's got my initials on it. What do you think it is? I had this expensive money clip that's inlaid. It's an inlaid cocopelli, which is a mythical Native American symbol on this money clip. I designed it myself, and it's been blessed by a shaman on top of it. And he's like, well, you can order my supervisor, but he's going to give her the same answer. Then get your freaking supervisor to Anyway, I eventually boarded the plane with my money clip that they reluctantly had to hand back to me. Now, depending on your boarding, if you're flying in airlines like Southwest where it's general boarding and you don't check in at exactly one millisecond past midnight to get your boarding pass, you're in group C, which is the last group. Number 120, the dead last seat on the plane. Which means if you want to avoid that, you have to stay up until exactly midnight and God forbid not have any trouble logging in so you can get a seat that's somehow easier to get on the plane with. Because by the time you get on the plane in Group C, all the overhead luggage bins are full. In fact, when you take the flight, the stewardesses, oh, I'm sorry, they're called flight attendants. Flying was a lot more fun and a lot better adventure back when they had those Pan Am stewardesses, you know, with the uniforms and they couldn't weigh more than 120 pounds. You know what they call the old flight attendants these days in the industry? They call them pterodactyls. And they'll say, this flight is very full. What's the difference between full and very full? I mean, do the pilots, when they're taking off, do they push the throttle forward and say full power, or do they say very full power? Which one is it? I mean, very full power, is that like George Kennedy playing the chief of maintenance, push the throttle all the way forward, so it was very full power, so they can try to get this Boeing the hell out of the way of the runway so that Dean Martin and the lovely Jacqueline Bissett could land their plane. I know it's an old-timey reference, but check out the original movie Airport with Burt Lancaster and the others. I think you'll really enjoy it. Now you're on the plane and there's some gross body next to you. They're gelatinous because the average American is overweight to very obese these days. Oh, I'm sorry, what's the difference between obese and very obese? Actually, there probably is a difference, medically anyway. The kind that's oozing over their side of the seat. You know, the seats that are about the size of a kitty lawn chair next to a swimming pool. And don't get me started on when they ever clean those seats. Do you know how many butts have been in those seats? Ew, Mr. Man. And now, pressing their sweaty, sticky body up against you, you can feel the funk oozing off of them. You can feel their body heat, and now you're going to be stuck there. Worse, you have that idiot in front of you that insists on reclining their chair all the way back throughout the duration of the flight, and now you're trapped into this thing. Gotta use the bathroom? Well, there's no bath in it. That's a real treat. I mean, men can kind of put up with almost anything as you're bumping around in there, but I feel sorry for the ladies. They're too small, they're hard to move around, and then you got that stainless steel seat like they have in state prison. How do I know about that? Never mind. I hate the freaking crying babies because they're going to cry the whole way. And where are they? They're almost always within two or three seats of me. And then you have the little bit older kitties who either kick in the back of your seat somewhere right there in the old sacroiliac 
And you turn around after a while and their parents are, you know, have earbuds in or something, completely not paying attention. Or you have the kid that's in the seat in front of you who insists on standing on the seat or kneeling on it and looking over the top of it with their snotty nose or their drooling mouth and they're just going to stare at you. (laughs) I'm not a parent, but if I were a parent, I would not allow my children to behave in such manner. Eventually, you arrive, and then you have to de-plane. And then they give you this speech, which continues the speech they gave you at the beginning where they're giving you the, quote, safety features of the plane. In case of an unlikely landing over water, where would we land over water? I mean, when in history has a plane gone down? I mean, maybe the miracle on that's okay, one time. But, you know, and this is the, you know, I got to point out the exit doors and all this stuff. No one's going to listen to that. People panic when stuff happens. And they say it, and of course they said it 5,000 times. So there's no affa. They're just like, ah, eh, the foreign thing. But now you've landed. They try to give you the cheery sales pitch. You know, they sound like real estate ladies. We know you have a choice of airlines to fly on. And we just like so appreciate you flying on airlines. And we really hope to see you soon. Yeah, yeah. Skip the palaver. I got to get off this plane because I really have to pee. And there's always people, they don't know where they put their luggage, even though it wasn't that long ago in the overhead rack. And then everyone letting someone else go in front of them, although I've done that just to be courteous. I could just go on and on and maybe one day I'll do a part two. But... Ronnie? Oh, I know people fly commercially and they don't like it. And, uh, well, I always flew on Air Force One where I had every amenity and uh, I didn't have to deal with uh, stewardesses or, uh, as we called them, uh, secret service agents or agents. Uh, And sometimes I know people suffer badly as they travel internationally, as uh, uh, from time to time I did with jet lag, but... uh, I used to go back into my comfy cabin and take a prez nap. One time during that nap, I had a marvelous dream of uh, Rhonda Fleming. They used to call her Miss Technicolor, and oh, oh man, was that dream in Technicolor. I uh, made a couple of films with her, and, uh, well, I guess I'll put it this way. It was uh, quite a wild blue yonder (laughs) I woke up from that uh, that dream with an up, up, and away, if you know what I mean. Don't tell Nancy. Ooh, <laughs> rock on!